Welcome to Bell Curve with Mary Scott, Rachel, and Liz, three friends, three Southern Bells, joining you, smart women, to discuss life, work, relationships, business, everything from the nerdy to the normal, the practical to the philosophical, the head to the heart. Thanks for joining us as we observe, analyze, and often deviate from the standard. today, Mary Scott Hunter, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Rachel Blackman Briars. Hi. And Liz Bashirs. Hello. <laughs> and we are talking about a subject and a book that has had a profound influence in my life, going in the Wayback Machine, back to Mary Scott's high school days. <laughs> and I just, when when we started thinking about doing this podcast, Bell Curve. I just couldn't stop thinking about this book, Virginia Woolf's A Room of One's Own. And as we have thought about our format for this podcast and what we want to do with it, we know that one thing we want to do is kind of have book club days. Now, we won't do them every segment. We won't do them every show. But sometimes we want to talk about books, um, books that are recent and uh, contemporary, um, Uh, or books maybe that take us way back to when we read them the first time. So this is one that I read in high school, A Room of One's Own by Virginia Woolf, first published in 1929, September 1929. And just to give you a quick kind of background on it, Woolf imagines that Shakespeare had a sister, a sister equal to Shakespeare in talent and equal in genius, but whose legacy is radically different. This imaginary woman never writes a word and dies by her own hand, her genius unexpressed. Boo. If only she had found the means to create argues Wolf. She would have reached the same heights as her immortal sibling. In this classic essay, Wolf takes on the establishment, using her gift of language to dissect the world around her and give her voice to those who are without. So, you can see why I... (laughs) Can you tell why I love this book? (laughs) Well, first of all, ladies, have you read it? Have you ever read it? Yes. It's been a while. And I, I did you know, go back through the uh, the summary for this, to prepare for this, but I do remember enjoying it when I read I'm it in high school. Sorry about the homework. <laughs> it's been a really long time, but I think I, if, I recall that she used a lot of saying, like, if one were to address one's audience, like, she used the words one a lot. I just kind of imagine it's very proper. So that was kind of fun to uh, remember that style of writing and thinking. Well, you know what, Rachel, that's really funny. I, of course, I read it the first time I was, you know, this was 30 years ago, but I listened to it to catch up this time. And of course, it was a British voice. And, and I just loved how it how you can listen to it. It listens really well. And there is a lot of tongue in cheek and the whole British accent thing kind of gives it even another twist, which I, which I think is, I don't know. It was great, but Everyone we have sounds smarter with a British accent. Just like, <laughs> I know. why couldn't I have a British accent? I would sound brilliant. Yeah. My 15 year old is going to the British accent phase right now. Oh, mine too. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I think we all did it. Uh, uh, so women, her one of the re- the title of the book comes from a quote: "Women must have a fixed income and a room of one's own in order to have the freedom to create." Now, Wolf was, <laughs> you know, Wolf was ahead of her time, and 
you know, just like when you're heavily affected by something, she's ex- she's pretty extreme and for for the standards of the day. Remember that British suffrage had just happened in 1918. The U.S. Uh, women got the vote in 1920. So this is, you know, this was she was extremely forward in her thinking. But I sent you guys a couple of quotes, um, some quotes to look over from the book. Did any of them jump out at you or did anything about what she, you know, any of those kind of interesting quotes jump out at you? Um, one cannot think well, love well, sleep well, if one has not dined well, really. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's perfect for you, Liz, because you're like the queen of finding good food and good spots when you travel. (laughs) I mean, there's so much wisdom in this book, though, Um, especially when she uh, talks about, I really, I'll just, I'm going to go ahead and read this one. All of this pitting of sex against sex, of quality against quality, all this claiming of superiority and inputting of inferiority. Impu- I'm sorry, imputing of inferiority. Belong it's a hard to- word. <laughs> imputing. Yes. Be- belong to the private school stage of human existence where there are sides and it is necessary for one side to beat another side. And of the utmost importance to walk up to a platform and receive from the hands of the headmaster himself a highly ornamental pot. <laughs> The, as I was rereading the book, uh, my before I reread it or re-listened to it, I thought, you know, this isn't going to apply today. These things don't. But but there just still was a lot about it. She was extremely ahead of her time, and there was a lot about it that I think still persists. And I, I'm even uncomfortable a little bit saying that, you know, especially as a politically conservative woman, I don't like to think, you know, a lot about gender politics and that women don't have opportunities and, and that, you know, things aren't fair. And I don't, I don't like to think about it. I don't like to talk about it, but it's a thing. And so I, I was, I don't know. I'm glad I, I'm glad I reread it and I'm glad we're talking about it today, which quotes jumped out at you, Rachel. Well, and let me just leap, leap off of that point that I think that's, I think we probably all three feel that that's something that feels a little bit uncompelling about the current, let's say, third or fourth wave feminism, that when you look at this in perspective, when you think about the opportunities that were available to women historically, we live in an unprecedented time, you know, technology has made it possible for everybody to be a creator, everybody to be a writer, there's there really is no gatekeeper. I mean, it would be great if a major publisher picked you up as a writer, but you could also do it yourself. Um, and so I think when when we think about challenges, I, I do like to think of it in terms of, okay, what's the next step forward with a sense of optimism and a sense mm-hmm. of gratitude rather than f- fixating on you know perceived unfairness? Um, and, and again, I think that perspective and reading books like this, just, wow, you can't help but think we have such opportunities, not just not just women. I mean, I think about men back in the days when they were eking out a living, they were living in poverty, they were working in those factories and those mills. And yes, they were working, but were they living their dream? Was it just this incredible life they were living? And it really no, uh, maybe for some, but even if you were an artist, that was kind of resigning yourself to poverty. So I think we have to remember that as women too, um, even while acknowledging, okay, women couldn't vote. I am so mm. thankful for the, the suffragettes who got out there and fought. And, you know, it's just incredible. 
Um, so there's my two cents on that. A lot of these quotes made a lot of sense to me. I, I really liked the one you sent, Mary Scott, that said, there is no gate, no lock, no bolt that you can set upon the freedom of the mind, or my mind, rather. Mm-hmm. Really loved mm-hmm. that. That'll preach. That will. And you know, and she was, she truly was living in a time when, you know, women could barely inherit. You know, there was, there were just such constrictions, constraints. Um, Gosh, the clothes they wore even. She chafed at the clothes they had to wear. And, and I get it. And, you know, there truly is no gate, no lock, no bolt um, upon the freedom of one's mind. And, And I, I think that she, you know, she chafed, and I do think women still chafe today some, but I like what you said, Rachel, about being optimistic about opportunity and chances, and yes, it's not as if there isn't unfairness all the way around for, you know, for, uh, you know, for men, for women of color, for men of color, for people who have disabilities. I mean, it's, it's, it's a big problem, and in, and in Wolf's case, she was talking she was asked, the context of this is that she was asked to deliver some lectures on fiction and writing fiction. But I have always taken it that that you can read this book as, you know, not literally, but as a kind of lodestone or a guide to what do you need to be successful today. And and at its core, Wolf gets to, she does, she talks a lot and it's as if she's sort of talking out loud to get to what she, what she thinks women need. And what she really, really comes down to that women need is that women must have money and a room of one's own if she is to, and you can blank, blank, dot, dot, dot there and insert whatever. In Wolf's mm-hmm. case, she was talking about writing fiction, but I would, I would say that you need you know, you're, you need some money and you need a room of one's own to do a lot of things in our, not only in our professional world, but in our, you know, for our, for our creativity, for our peace of mind. So what do you think? The first thing that I really thought about was a, a different book that I read recently called uh, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. She's the Eat, Pray, Love lady. Um, I think yeah. a lot of people have read her. You know, so something that she writes about it writes about in that book that really re- resonates with me is is kind of very similar about making space for your creativity. And the whole book's about living a creative life and how everybody has within them your know, creative potential. But so many of us, we're either smacked down by a, a teacher who said we couldn't draw, or we are smacked down by somebody who said, why would you pursue that? You're, you're not a good singer, you know? And so we let other people's opinion of our creativity dampen um, our passion throughout our time. But we, you know, one of the things that um, she says that she does is, and since creativity is the most effective way for me to access wonder, I choose it. I choose to black, block out all the external and internal noise and distractions and to come home again and again to creativity. So she does kind of the same thing in a different way, right? She goes on to say, because I know without that source of wonder, I am doomed. Without it, I will forever wander the world in a state of bottomless dissatisfaction. Nothing but a howling ghost trapped in the body, trapped in a body made of slowly deteriorating meat. How's that for... Oh. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> Little dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> Little dramatic. But to her point, I, I she think, definitely you know, read the book. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. As you know, what are we without without our ability to um, 
to access that creative side, to take, to find the space, maybe whether that means physically or emotionally to, to pursue the things that light us on fire. You know, it's funny thinking about that idea of creating space emotionally and maybe mentally, not necessarily just physically, but um, so I've been off social media in all forms for nearly two years. And um, oh, Liz, she's spessing up. I know, <laughs> I know I am. And so, you know, not not counting like posting articles and whatever for clients, but as far as me, Rachel Breyers, you know, I, I've been off and actually, you know, considering this topic, it's it's created such room for me. Um, room spiritually, creati- creatively, mentally, emotionally. I could probably just sing the praises of going social media free. But on the other hand, you know, I've really had to ask myself what part of myself is hiding. So there, like I said, there's never been a better time to be a creator, a, a writer, a person with a message. If anyone can use social media as a platform, you know, is there some sort of responsibility to quote, let your light shine? And if one of the ways you can do that is on a platform that reaches other people and it's social media, to what degree, to what degree should you do that now that we have that freedom? So I've kind of been grappling with that. And this uh, recently, I actually took a little baby step back onto social media and I got an Instagram account. <laughs> Everybody follow Rachel. Oh, I know, right? Oh, I know, like my, my very few followers. It's so funny. But it, I think I've kind of come to this idea that it's a, it's a both and, at least in respect to social media, that um, it creates room for me to show up and be seen and to create and to share whatever's on my heart. And, you know, I think there's always risk, whether it was a century ago and somebody was showing up at a meeting and being seen and putting themselves out there with a message, there was a risk there of rejection. Uh, I think there's new risks in new opportunities. And I, I just in my very human self, it was just so funny to have some of those floods of emotions come back to me this week, tiptoeing out on social media. Like I would follow someone and I'd be like, waiting for them to follow me back and they would never <laughs> follow me back. And I was like, I was like, what now? That is rejection hold on rude i'm like i'm not rude i'm just gonna unfollow you (laughs) but you know how human are we but it just i i think i think if wolf was writing this book today she would probably talk about rooms in a different way and you're talking about you know space in your life free from social media and creating that space or that room and I do think that Wolf was literally talking about a room. Uh, and sometimes today we can be talking about a room. But I also think, like, for me, I don't have a room of my own in my house. But I do have times that I can take when nobody else is here. And I sort of think of that as my room. You know, I have three kids, but they all are in school. And so today, for example, I'm taking the day off. And it's kind of like a room of my own because it's time. It's just time when nobody else is at the house and it's quiet and that's my room. And so, you know, I I looked up some stats and last year, $394 billion was spent in the United States on home improvement. And I have to believe that some women out there building she sheds, building, you know, renovating spaces in their houses or redecorating spaces or taking back over rooms for kids that have gone to college. But I think that you can also create room in other ways, like freeing yourself from some responsibilities or taking time or waking up before the family wakes up to pray or to meditate or do yoga or whatever. So do you think that it's a 
a necessary in, in modern times? Do you think it's a, a female need? I mean, because I'm thinking, let's just say of Pepper, my husband, who I'm not sure he has a room of his own or even really much space to to do what I mean, with five children, you know, I'm thinking he gets up. He gets out the door, he goes to work all day, he goes immediately to help with after school activities, comes home, handles a lot of chores, and then we both just go to bed exhausted. And so I guess I wonder, are we living in a new era mm. where it's really not necessarily a feminist topic anymore? It's all do do all people need a room of their own, or do you think it's do you think it is something um, that women especially need? I think that if I think about my husband, he has always had a a workshop. In every house we've ever had, he's had a workshop. And since we've had kids, I've never had a room that was really all my own. Now, this is if we're talking about a physical room. And I have to say that I know a lot of women that are like, if you really think about it, because you know, the kitchen, we think of that as our domain, but it's really not. I mean, everybody's in the kitchen. The bedroom, I share it with him. You know, happy marriage. Yay. But it's, it's his room, too. And, you know, so I do think that there is – and but the she shed movement, I think, is – is women deciding that they would like to have their man cave, their version of their man cave. And I, I, I kind of want one myself. <laughs> you know, a friend of mine, yeah, a friend of mine did the most creative thing. She took this closet that was kind of a junk closet. They had coats in there, but it was underneath the stairs. You, you know, just one of those rooms quote that you just kind of overlook. And she got some idea maybe off of Pinterest, but the brilliance with which she renovated basically this small room, she strung light, she put a desk in, she hung up all these quotes. Um, You just wouldn't believe what she was able to fit into this small room. And she lived in a spacious house, but it was that idea that you're getting at Mary Scott, that she truly wanted a place that it was just, it was just her, didn't have Mm -hmm. to be um, shared or cleaned up. Yeah. I mean, and I, I don't think that's selfish. I think, I don't know. I, Liz, is any of this uh, of two married, you know, married mamas, does this make sense to the millennial crowd who don't have children yet? <laughs> any, are, you, are you like, you guys are old. <laughs> no, it, it makes complete, it makes complete sense to me. And, you know, I, I do find myself not being able to relate to the, to the demands, you know, from your kids, of course, but the just the idea of having a place where you can be, you know, you you don't have to be anybody but exactly who you are, if, when you're in that space, and um, you know that can be that could be difficult as somebody who works from you know who has a small business and, and works for myself and works from home, is that you know my workplace is wherever there's internet and my computer. And I'm talking to y'all on a laptop right now. From so. L.A. How cool is Liz Bashir's? Yes. Yeah. Rachel yes, Los Angeles. <laughs> the weather here is gorgeous right now. It'll be um, quiet. Because it's Southern California, and it's always gorgeous. Um, but, yeah, uh, so of uh, making intentional space away from – because my room is my office. You know, my, my – place of my own is my office is making intentional space away from it away from my computer away from my desk uh to really be able to you know shut off that the work business part of my brain and access you know a different side well i do think for our listeners i'm gonna send a little bit of an encouragement out there to our to our 
fellow women who are listening today, you know, I think it, I think you may want to consider this because, um, you know, you can think about what's going on in your own life, but according to the Center, Centers for Disease Control, 16% of women aged 18 to 44 reported feeling, quote, very tired or, quote, exhausted most days compared to just 9% of men in the same range. And 37% of women said they feel tense or stressed out at work, according to the American Psychological Association. So, it's a thing, y'all. It's women need to de-stress. They need, it's, you know, that's a that's a clear statistic that would indicate that we need to take a little bit of time, create some room, uh, whether it's building a, a room under the, the stairs, whether it's creating some space in your life by freeing yourself from some obligations like social media or something else. Um, it, I do think that women need some space. And I think that Wolf's proposition that women need a room of one's own still holds today. Maybe just giving yourself permission to take that space. So for instance, let's say you're a busy mom and you've made room in your weekend to get away from morning and you're going to go get some coffee and go to the library and just, just be. I think part of the encouragement there would be to do whatever you're doing well and be intentional and just know that you're a great mom you give so much to your children, and if you need to step away, um, just to make use of that and enjoy that time and come back refreshed. Um, and then, you know, I feel like if we do that, if we give ourselves permission and we don't abuse either side of that, we don't run ourselves ragged with no breaks, and we don't just try to get away from our children all the time, if we if we really are being intentional about keeping it in its proper place, um, that we should and we can give ourselves permission to do that. One of the things that feminists talk about a lot these days is, you know, we we have a lot more representation in the workplace. Women have a lot more representation in the workplace than they did before. And they, they have a lot more help at home than they ever have before as well. But for so many women, they're still carrying the bulk of the, um, what they call the emotional load, I think is what the terminology is, of whether that's, you know, childcare or taking care of aging parents or, you know, being the ones that are involved in at, you know, in church life and having a lot of responsibilities there. That's a place that I think is, is it would be really easy to just, you know, let yourself be overcome by all those responsibilities and creating space in your life to the extent that you can uh, of saying, your best yes to the things that you are most passionate about and mean the most to you and learning how to gracefully say no to everything else that is not fulfilling to you. Um, I think so many women want to be able to say yes to everything and it ends up making them have no space in their life for the things that light them on fire. And so, you know, being able to say yes to the right things, yes to the things that light you on fire, and graciously saying no to everything else is is something I'm daily trying to get better at. <laughs> and, maybe, and maybe not denying or kind of being mad at, at ourselves for having a female nature that is going to perhaps for, for some of us um, feel that need to um, emotionally be there for the, the folks that you just mentioned, our children or other people in ways that, that men perhaps won't, won't do at the same level. I, I think that we're just, we're driven by different motivations sometimes. And we, we kind of want, because emotional work takes work, we mm-hmm. want 
we want men to do that work with us and kind of sometimes can get mad that they don't feel like I used to maybe, you know, leave the kids with Pepper and go to class or, or go teach a class or do whatever it was um, that was really important to me. And I had to get over the fact that he was not going to do things the way I really felt needed to be done. Now, were they were the kids fine? They were absolutely fine. He did a fantastic job. But, you know, were they maybe crying over this or that when I got home? And was, you know, did they eat Captain B's instead of whatever good healthy food I would have given them. Um, you know, and I think sometimes women throw up their hands and say, well, I'm just not going to accept any help at all because this isn't real help. I have to come home and, you know, fix whatever has, has been wronged and in, in our minds wronged. So I guess letting men off the hook and letting them help in the ways that they can help and then recognizing and holding sacred what women bring to the community, bring to churches, bring to families in the way of emotional work, I think is important. Yeah. And if you don't, if you don't accept that you're, it's not going to, you know, their socks are not going to match when you leave the, you know, and if your kids are going to not quite, you know, maybe they leave without their jacket or they don't brush their teeth that day. If you decide I'm never leaving because their socks have to match, you are denying yourself your room. You need, because you need that. And, and, it, and it, and loving husbands, you know, they may not be able to remember to, you know, I don't know, get the hair bow just right, but, um, but they are trying to give you your room with that kind of help. So, um, a couple of things for our listeners, if you want to literally look at rooms or spaces for yourself, jump down that rabbit hole at Pinterest or at another website I found realsimple.com. Both of those were really, really good places to see just all kinds of cute things and interesting things and wonderful things that people did, you know, even like Home Depot, Lowe's, they have ideas for you if you want to build, um, and are handy that way. Um, but you can also clean out closet, just like Rachel said, I don't want to leave out the other thing that Wolf said, and we will talk a lot about, about this, I think in the future, because this is a, a, a passion of mine and an interest area of mine, and that is pay equity. Um, uh, it, it's, it's real that women are not paid at the same rate men are in America. And I want to really um, compliment South Carolina. Uh, their, their Women's Rights and Empowerment Net- Network spearheaded a piece of legislation, a Pay Equity Act for South Carolina that is going to be introduced in 2019 in their legislative session. And I just thought that was great. Um, so, because, you know, that is the other piece of what Wolf said, a room of one's own um, and uh, your own money. Um, so, um, that's an important piece. And we're going to talk a lot about more about that in the future. I thought the the room piece was what interested us today, interested us today. And, um, and I just hope that our listeners now will just give it a little thought. Think about how you can create some space in your life, whether it's literal physical space or space and time or space free from some obligation. Thanks for listening today, ladies. Any, any final comments? As of this recording, it still hasn't been too far removed from the new year. Um, And so my big thing this week is a quote that I've always loved since I heard it and usually comes back to my mind around the new year. And it's from a British philosopher. So again, on the British theme, you know, just kind of picture him in a British accent. Um, He's named Elaine de Botton, I think is how you pronounce it. And he says, quote, anyone who isn't embarrassed of who they were last year probably isn't learning enough. I really like that. I get a good laugh out of that quote. It encourages me that it's okay and probably necessary to look back on our 
selves even a year ago, five years ago, and just kind of want to slap our hands on our foreheads, you know, that, ugh. but I think that means that we are aware and we're trying to grow. And as long as we're not ruminating and sort of beating ourselves up over our past mistakes, um, it, you know, we're all a work in progress. So that's my, that's my quote of the week. Oh, I love it. I love it. Mine this week is a book I just finished reading the other night, Beneath a Scarlet Sky. It was recommended to me over a year ago, and I just finally got it from the library. But it is a the novelization about a true story of a, a um, Italian man during World War II who first helped Jews escape over the Alps and then, you know, got drafted into the Nazi army, the occupying Nazi army in, in Milan, Italy, and had to, you know, figure out ways to spy while his whole family thought he was a traitor for um, for being a, a part of the Nazi army. And it just may, really makes me think, anytime I read one of those World War II books, how strong people have the capability to be and how you know, even in the midst of mortal danger of the worst sort that, you know, as far as we know, humanity has ever seen, People still stepped up and they did the hard things. And you know, we live in a relatively easy time period right now in terms of, you know, we're we're free and we're fat and we're happy. And so it can be really you are easy. Not fat. <laughs> not, you know what I mean. <laughs> we're fat You're and happy. Well fed. <laughs> yeah. And you know, so it can be hard to find the opportunities to uh, to practice that that courage muscle that moral courage muscle. And that's just something I want to put more uh, time and thought and practice into is, is making sure that even though life is easy, I'm not sitting back and, and uh, not practicing that courage muscle or not strengthening that courage muscle. So mine is a little bit related to yours, uh, Liz. I read this book called Autumn Throne about Eleanor of Aquitaine, and she lived a really long time. She was a queen of England and of France first, uh, and she lived this really long life, and she was a really smart lady, and she had 10 children, and and this was at the end of the Middle Ages. And it's been really cold lately, and I've been thinking about the fact that she crossed the Alps to bring a bride to one of her sons, actually Richard the Lionhearted, to bring him his bride when she was in her 70s. Wow. And, <laughs> and I just, for whatever reason, that thought has come to me randomly as I've tried to you know, run from my car into my office, like freezing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Thinking, oh, That's well, awesome. I'm not Eleanor of Aquitaine crossing the Alps. In my and you weren't wearing a, a dress that weighed like 40 pounds. <laughs> yeah, and she did it. Winter. I forgot to say that she did it oh in the, like, the worst wow. crossing, and like they were, there was you know feet, feet of you know many feet of snow, and anyway, so that was my that was my thing this week that I kept thinking about. So thank you, ladies. I enjoyed talking about a room of one's own, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.